Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott, where we explore the early days of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and gain rare historical insights into how a young farm boy was able to establish a new church and grow it by way of visions, manifestations, and miracles. Hi, welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard Leduc. Hello, Garrett. In this week's podcast, we're going to talk about our Latter-day Saints Christian. But before we get to that, I wanted to read an email that we've Now everyone's like on the edge of their seats. Yeah, spoiler alert, we're not. Whoa, whoa. Well, according to... Let's find out. Okay. You're going to have to listen to find out whether or not you believe in Jesus. (laughs) Well, so actually, it could go either way. Well, so that's actually one of the things, one of the biggest issues that we. Oh, well, all right, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get. It. Um, but I wanted to read an email from um, uh, Ari. Actually, Ari emailed in. An, are, which Ari? Well, so the subject is Ari the Elder. <laughs> so the message is, dear Doctor Dirkmott and Field Marshal Leduc. A while back, I was listening to your excellent podcast when you read from an email or when you read an email from someone named Ari who claimed to be from Missouri because it would be extremely unlikely for there to be more than one Latter-day Saint Ari from Missouri. I correctly identified uh, your commenter as the other Ari from my ward. Yes, there are indeed two Aris in the same ward and neither of us is Jewish. That's not possible i think that's just Um, because you had stated that perhaps they were look because you are that's right but look i mean my yeah i mean my my grandmother uh had several friends named ari Uh, i only know a handful of people named ari um 100 of them are jewish but perhaps it's possible in 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 this world perhaps it is possible Uh, unlike ari the younger i ari the elder have never lived in missouri nor did take the opportunity during either of my trips uh, to the state to ask the proper pronunciation of the state's name so I cannot register any opinion as to the correctness of your Missouri accents. Um, Ari, Ari the Elder goes on to talk about uh, kind of the, the settling of, of Salt Lake and some of the things we're actually going to get to in a future podcast but wanted to uh, So our, our Ari the Elder wants to stake his claim as not being the Ari who's emailed us several other times. Yes, that's So right. the main point of that email was, I'm not this guy, just so everyone knows. <laughs> First of all, full I, disclosure. Yeah, full disclosure, two Aris, Ari the Elder and Ari the Younger. I feel like he's taking the Ari the Elder because he's trying to say he's somewhat better. <laughs> I mean, he's trying to posi- – it's, it's a call to authority. Yeah, a little bit. Anyway, yeah. it was very funny. Both Ari's, very funny, very witty. Ari, very much appreciate your email. So uh, a couple of – about a month ago, actually. I was going to say a couple weeks ago. But a, about a month ago, uh, I was on the Twitters, um, and I uh, was – there was something that was trending on Twitter. Um, I follow a couple of uh, – Latter-day Saint folks on Twitter that are that are pretty funny. Um, Lego Joseph Smith is is great, and uh, the State Clerk Emeritus is also good. Uh, they they are often very funny. Um, and so Lego Joseph Smith said this: Mormons are not Christian is trending. This might sound offensive to us at first, but ask these people how they define Christian, and you'll be glad you're not that. All right. It's a little, little stake in the ground. <laughs> it's a little. So there was um in in all of the hullabaloo on this on this trending. I didn't know. Maybe Mitt Romney said something, and all of a sudden it started trending. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but uh, there was a gentleman uh, from Idaho, Scott Adams. He was on the twitters as well, and so he there was kind of a back and forth as he was trying to explain. Hey guys, we're Christian. I mean, come on, what are you talking about? Um, and so one of the tweets that he he wrote was, rather than argue if Mormons are Christians, I'll just say this. As a Latter-day Saint, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. He is the only source of salvation, 
and I know he suffered and died for mankind to save a sinner like me. And I think that many, many people, Latter-day Saints, agree with what Scott is saying. Well, I would hope all of them agree that Jesus is the Christ. They agree with what Scott said. I would hope if you are calling yourself a Latter-day Saint, fundamentally you believe Jesus is the Christ. At least that part. That's very true. But I think that that the confusion there, there's often though confusion as to and and there are several scriptures that Scott cites here, um, and and essentially it's like uh, I don't understand what you're saying. Here's a scripture from the Book of Mormon that says this about Jesus. Here's a scripture from the Book of Mormon that says this about Jesus, and on and on we go. What do you mean that we're not Christian? And so what we wanted to talk about on this uh, episode is where this idea that Latter-day Saints aren't Christian. There's a gospel topics essay uh, that was originally titled, Are Mormons Christian? And it's uh, it's been changed to Are Latter-day Saints Christian? Actually, actually, if you go to the gospel topics essay, it says, Are Mormons, in quotes, in quotes yeah. Christian? Because that's what people would say. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that and have Garrett maybe provide some historical context as to where that problem is, because it's one of those things, and this has happened on my mission quite a few times, where I'm saying a word. So in our last episode, we learned that on your mission, you, profil- you promulgated multiple false teachings about plural marriage. Yes. So now... Well, we're gonna- could, you, could you just state what those were just before you know we just jump to possible conclusions of what... So just- you, you think that people listening are that you're teaching that we practice it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it was not that. It was, it, was, it, was the, it was the thing that... The standard explanation that not very many not very people, people did people practiced it. practiced and- it. There were more women than men. And, you know, whatever. Yeah. Is you're trying to dismiss yeah. it away to yeah. help somebody that doesn't feel comfortable with polygamy. I, I wanted to make people church. go back and listen to the previous one in order to find out. No need to said. now. That's what we talked yeah, about for yeah. 50 minutes. I'm trying to grow our listenership. Richard's trying to shrink it. <laughs> He's looking for a landing pad out of here. So if anyone would like to apply to be a co-host of the standard of truth podcast, please contact us. I know his, I know his wife, Becky wants to be a co-host, but only if all we do is attack anti-Mormons the whole time. <laughs> it's her favorite thing. Yeah. When Garrett gets worked up and attacks anti-Mormons. Yeah, she's always like, that's okay. That's okay. And then someone claims that Willard Richard shot Joseph Smith and I lose it on the air. And she's like, that was the greatest podcast <laughs> ever. <laughs> well, so we wanted to so, – so, you know, this would happen where I would say something on my mission. I would use the same word that they're using and I'm like, how are you not understanding? And I'm like, well, this thing. And they're like, yeah, this thing. And I'm like, that's what I said. We're talking past each other. Because there's, there are uh, very um, significant reasons why somebody who would be you know, a standard evangelical Christian would say that a Latter-day Saint isn't Christian, despite you saying, I believe in Jesus. They're saying, yeah, but it's a different Jesus. Yeah, and you know, the very fact that there is a gospel topics essay, when we say the gospel topics essay, these are the essays that are located in your gospel library app. If you were to click church history, there'll be three separate uh, um, subfolders under there that deal with historical questions about the church. And one of them is called gospel topics essays. One of those essays is our quote unquote Mormons Christians. All of the gospel topics essays are uh, written to topics that are uh, not as well understood and often because of a lack of understanding can be used to harm people's testimonies or they can sometimes be used antagonistically against the church. And so you might be surprised that one of the essays that was created is this very question, are Mormons Christian? I'm going to guess that the vast majority of our listeners well, maybe not of our listeners, but listeners to other other Latter-day Saint podcasts, but the, 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 the vast majority have never once questioned whether or not they believe in Jesus. I would guess that that's one of the more fundamental beliefs that all of you have, that you're like, yeah, I'm not quite so sure exactly how ceilings work in the next life, but I believe in Jesus. I mean, I think that that's pretty fundamental for anyone who believes in Jesus. And so, I think that's part of the reason why it's so shocking. You know, you listed off a few people on on Twitter, and 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 I think that's why it comes across as a shock. 
you know, for, for a practicing Latter-day Saint, I mean, they eat, drink, and sleep believing in Jesus. I mean, they're praying, they're, 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 they're praying in their prayers and closing them in the name of Jesus. They're bearing their testimony in the name of Jesus. They're talking about the atonement. Everything is about Jesus. And it's also everything that they hear when they listen to general conference. It is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus over and over and over again. So that comes then as a shock when they're talking to their Christian friend and their Christian friend says, well, you actually aren't a Christian. If you were to look up the definition of Christian in the dictionary, what would you find, Richard? Someone that believes in Jesus. Yeah, a, a believer in Jesus, right? So that means that, that that person is not taking just a standard dictionary definition there. What is going on is that the person, the, the non-Latter-day Saint, is asserting that you have beliefs that are so far outside of the realm of what is quote unquote acceptable Christianity that you aren't even Christian at all. Now, this of course is a really, it's a really tough thing, right? Because someone is trying to tell you that you aren't something that you very much believe that you are. Um, that that is is the case that I think many Latter-day Saints find themselves in when they're having these kinds of conversations. So what are some of the major reasons why we we've touched on I think all of these in various podcasts in in little bits here and there. Um just part of it though. It's part of it. It's part, it's part of it. It's part of it. And honestly, we're not going to be able to cover all the different reasons on this podcast either. But there there are some certain things that are uh when your Christian friend says that you aren't Christian, that, that are touchstones with me. Now, look, I, I realize it's offensive. It's an offensive thing when someone says it. And, you know, some people have even, you know, they, they try to highlight the fact that as a Latter-day Saint, you know, they, they say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And yet they'll find that their Christian friends will say, uh, no, you aren't. Um, uh, you can call yourself a Christian all day long, right? You know, and, 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 you know, your dog can think that he's, you know, your limo driver, but that doesn't make him your limo driver. You can't just think and say that you are one that's determined by someone else. The definition of what is a Christian is really a, an, it's a, the battle for that goes all the way back to the earliest days of Christianity. What does it mean to be a believer in Jesus? Does it mean that you believe that Jesus was a great teacher? Does it mean that you believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Does it mean that not only was Jesus the Messiah, but that Jesus was divine, that Jesus was the Son of God, or that Jesus was God? Now, there are multiple different ways that that could have been interpreted. And in fact, in the early days of Christianity, people interpret it many ways. Prior to Jesus, most uh, practicing Jews did not believe that the Messiah was going to be the Son of God. Most Jews in the time of Jesus thought the Messiah was going to be a great lawgiver, a great teacher, a great military figure, someone who was going to be perhaps the greatest prophet ever. But none of those things make him divine. And again, the word divine means God. So already in the earliest stages of, of Jesus's both ministry and after his ministry, there's a question of what does who Jesus even is. Several times, the leaders of, of the people and, and the scribes and Pharisees take up stones to stone Jesus, in fact. We see this a couple times in the Gospel of John. Most tellingly, you get this um, when Jesus is talking about uh, you know, who he is to these leaders of the people, and he says, Abraham saw my day, right, and rejoiced in it. And they mock him. They're like, you aren't even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Because, of course, Abraham's, you know, been gone for a couple thousand years. And Jesus' response, his rejoinder is, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that just sounds like some archaic grammar to us, um, but in fact... 
it was a very loud declaration uh, that Jesus was Jehovah. Because when Moses meets uh, the, the burning bush up on Mount Sinai, and he's told to go back and tell the people, Moses says, well, who should I say your name is, you know, that I can go tell people who you are? I can't just go and say, hey, there's a prairie fire out there that's saying that they're God. Who are you? And, and he says, uh, you know, the Lord says to him, I am that I am. And so that terminology, I am, is actually where the, the name of God in, in, in Judaism derives from. The, the, it's, you know, to be unspoken, basically, but um, without vowels, it's, it's, you know, I am that I am is, is where you get Yahweh from. Right, and the Greek version of that is Jehovah, and so this very declaration of who God is in the Old Testament is now being reiterated by Jesus, who is saying, "Before Abraham was Jehovah," meaning, "I am Jehovah." Right, that's what he's saying. Right, Abraham saw my day. How could Abraham have seen your day? Because I'm Jehovah. And that, and of course, the Jews take up stones to, to kill him. So some of Jesus' own followers were more than ready to accept that he was a Messiah in the sense that he had great teachings, or that he was a Messiah that was going to lead people into the proper understanding of the law. But it was quite another argument entirely to say that Jesus was actually God. Uh, one of my favorite um, discussions in the Book of Mormon, you'll know it is because I brought it up so many times, is when Nephi is conversing both with the Spirit of the Lord and then also an angel, right? It kind of flashes back and forth there. Um, and he's, he's asked the question, knowest thou the condescension of God? And the reason why I love the conversation so much is that Nephi's response is the same as my students. Whenever I ask them a question that they don't know the answer to, they're really good about giving answers to other questions. So like, so, you know, uh, you know, what, what drove the destruction of the Nauvoo expositor? I know that Joseph Smith was teaching uh, about the plan of salvation Okay. Yeah, yes. Yes, he was. Uh, and, and you know, it's a true statement. It's just not as. So, so Nephi's like, knowest thou the condescension of God? And Nephi's like, well, you know, I, I know he loves his kids. I know he loves yeah, his children. Yeah, exactly. So the, the angel's like, uh, knowest thou the condescension of God? And Nephi's response is, I'm assuming haltingly. It doesn't say that in the Book of Mormon, but I'm assuming because oh, he that, wrote it. Yeah, because yeah, he's he's padding the stats, and and he says, "I know he loves his children." Nevertheless, I don't know the meaning. So he's admitting, "I don't know what you're talking about." Right? I know God loves us. You know what? And that's kind of where we all. That's how that's we right. all. You know, that's a good answer. You know, why do you think this happened? If this I was know Family God, Feud, we'd all be like, "Good answer." Yeah, we'd be a like, good, good answer. answer, and good then, answer. Eh, right? It would be up on the board. Well. So, but what the angel then proceeds to show him is that the same God, the same God that led the children of Israel out of Egypt is the same God that's going to be born of a virgin in, in, in Bethlehem. The condescension of God is that the same God that was already all-powerful omnipotent God, already God, became a baby, became mortal, and became subject to death and the flesh. And in, in as we learned in DNC 93, in one of our many, many years ago episode, I mean, year, uh, where we talked about DNC 93, passed through a veil and lost not only all that power, but also all of the knowledge that he had. That is a fundamental, important thing to understand about what Christians are claiming about Jesus. 
They are not claiming that Jesus is a great teacher. They're not claiming that Jesus is a super prophet. He doesn't just have all the, the, the moves of Moses, plus he knows how to do the mashed potato on the side. He is actually God. Now you're thinking as a Mormon, well, okay, I'm on board with that. So where does the disconnect come? Well, it comes a little bit further down the line. Once Christians assert that Jesus is literally divine, you now have a real problem. And, and when I say, what do, you, what do you mean you have a problem? Well, the problem is the most fundamental aspect of Judaism in Jesus's time is that there is only one God, period. There's one God. The reason why the Jews took up stones to stone him is because Jesus was asserting that he was, in fact, that God. And so that to them was blasphemy. Now, of course, he, he really was. They just assumed, they thought it was blasphemy. So if the most fundamental thing about Jewish worship in Jesus' time is that there's only one God, and again, that's a big deal because everyone around them is worshiping all kinds of gods, right? And in fact, most people believe that every single locale has its own local gods and minor gods and bigger gods. And, you know, you go all the way up to, to, to Jupiter and all the way down to, to a more minor god that's over this certain stream. But the gods are plentiful and they are many and they are everywhere and they control everything. And as far as Judaism is concerned, they don't exist. And that made Jews entirely unique in the ancient world, that they weren't just saying that we think, you know, Yahweh is superior to Jupiter. They were saying Jupiter doesn't exist. I know that you are saying he exists, but he doesn't. And so that meant that there was a flashpoint immediately in early Christianity. The flashpoint was every single person who became a Christian left what was a pantheistic religion. Look, if, if I grow up in Athens and I grew up worshiping Athena, you know, just probably, right? Yeah, for sure. If you're in Athens, you're going to worship Athena. Of course. I think so. And I grew up worshiping Athena and I move to Rome. Well, I still, I'm still going to put a little shrine up to Athena, right? I'm still going to worship Athena. Be rude not to. But while I'm in Rome, I'm also going to sacrifice to the emperor, who's now proclaimed a god. And I'm also going to sacrifice to Jupiter, the, the, the head of the Roman gods. Yeah. When in Rome. When in Rome, sacrifice to the gods blasphemously, as you should. I think that, that's, that's the right. saying, right? That's right. So that, yeah, when in Rome, you know. Where's a goat that you can sacrifice? Um, so what that means is that me beginning to worship Jupiter in no way hurts my worship of Athena. I mean, I guess it might on the margins, right? Maybe I only sacrifice four goats to Athena every other month rather than, than six because I'm, I only have so many goats. I mean, how many goats can a man have to sacrifice? I mean, it sounds kind of like a, like a Peter, Paul, and Mary song, perhaps. How many goats? Uh, uh, but uh, the, the, the reality is, only on the margins is pagan worship actually affected. Because it, only on the margins am I not worshiping Athena as much as I used to be. But really, I've just kind of expanded my worship, right? I'm worshiping more things than I used to, not that I'm worshiping less. Every person who becomes a Christian, by definition of their Christianity, rejects all pagan worship, right? So when you become a Christian, you might be worshiping Jupiter, Athena, and Hermes all at once, and all of a sudden, you aren't worshiping any of them anymore. You're only worshiping Jesus, this means that as the as Christianity spreads throughout the early Roman Empire, every person who becomes a Christian means there is one more person who is not worshiping any of the pagan gods at all. 
And that's just not true for any of the other pagan religions, right? If I'm a Spanish pagan and I, you know, you know, meet a Norseman somewhere and I start to worship Thor, that doesn't make me stop worshiping the validity of the local Spanish gods. If I become a Christian, I'm not worshiping Thor anymore. So as Christianity spreads, it's not spreading because of some kind of, you know, giant decree. It's not spreading because there are copies of the King James Bible in circulation everywhere, right? What do you have? You have copies of, of letters that Paul wrote, and you have some of the gospels that are in circulation. And then you also have other writings that are eventually in circulation that never make it into our Bible. Things like the gospel of Thomas, right? That's, that's not going to make it in there. But what it means is that there's no unified understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And in the ancient world, just like in the world today, the questions you ask about God are, are, directly tied to the culture that you come from. If you come from a culture that believes certain things, well, then your, your questions you have about God are going to surround those things. So for instance, if you come from a culture that prizes equality and fairness, your questions about God are going to be about what? Whether or not God is equal and fair. If you come from a culture that prizes the idea of justice, that everything has to be just, well, your questions about God are going to be, how is it that God is just, right? So that we, we don't often think about that when we think about the questions that we have about God, but, but the questions we have derive directly from our pre-existing beliefs. Otherwise, you wouldn't ask the question. You ask the question because it's relevant to you, and it's relevant to you because it's something that you believe. Anyways, as Christianity spreads... There, there are a lot of different ways people are trying to worship. Some people are trying to worship in ways that today we would see as heretical. You know, both us and the Catholics would see as heretical. Why? Well, a lot of it stems from the nature of God and the nature of Jesus. If Jesus is... God, Jesus is divine, if Jesus is Jehovah, then what does that mean? Well, I now have a problem because Jesus seems to be praying to someone named the Father. And also we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So if the most fundamental thing about Judaism, the religion of Jesus, is that there's only one God, and Jesus is proclaiming that he is God, but also the Father is God, and oh, by the way, also the Holy Spirit is God, well, well, there's a problem. There's a relational problem of how is it possible that Jesus is God, and that God is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, because that sounds like I said the word God three times. Well, I actually said it much more than three times. So it sounds like there's three different people that are God, in which case I'm not really a monotheist anymore. There were lots of ways that people tried to deal with that controversy. Um, one of the, uh, the earliest attempts to deal with it among apparently Jewish converts to Christianity was to simply deny that Jesus was actually God. I mean, the easiest way of getting around, how is it possible that Jesus is God and that God is God is just simply say that Jesus isn't God. Obviously God is God, right? God is God. That, that can't change. But does Jesus actually have to be God? Couldn't Jesus just be like a super Moses, like super Moses. Couldn't he be like Moses riding a Harley? You know, couldn't he just be Moses and, and, and you know, who's just like, even more powerful than Moses was. He has all of the power of God on earth given to him, but Moses was just a man. And however powerful he was, he's just a man. And that that's one of the ways that some early Christians tried to deal with this, this controversy by simply saying, there is no controversy. God is God and Jesus is the Messiah but remember, most Jews didn't believe that the Messiah was going to be divine. They believed the Messiah was going to be a man who had the power of God, right? So Jesus was a mortal who had the power of God. 
they're not a very big uh, sect uh, of Christians because it's primarily Jewish Christians, those who accepted that he's the Messiah, but they reject that he is divine. They reject that he is, in fact, Jehovah. On the other side of the spectrum, you have people who can negate this problem simply by talking about what it is that God even is, right? As a Latter-day Saint, you've always imagined in your head God being a person. That's just how you've always thought about it. God is a guy, right? You've thought about that because you have this understanding of God as your father. For Christians, and especially early Christians, that's that's not really the case. God is. God is 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 everywhere and nowhere all at once. God is all-powerful. God fills the expanse of the universe, but he's everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. God isn't a dude, right? God is an entity. God is. And so with that mentality, and certainly with a good mixture of Greek philosophical thought in there as well, some, especially Greek-affiliated uh, Christians, argued for the other opposite side of that, that Jesus is simply a projection of God, right? So God is, is, and the person that you see walking around that you think is Jesus is really just a projection of God. That doesn't mean that there's two gods. It means that there's one God, and this is how he's projecting himself. This is how some early Christians tried to deal with it. Others, um, tried to deal with it, with it in even more nuanced way. Um, one of the problems with saying that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is God, of course, is, well, how, how did Jesus die? Because how do gods die? I mean, if the definition of God is God is immortal and, and Jesus died, well, then that, you know, that seems like we're hurting the definition a little bit. And so Docetus argued that Jesus had these two natures, right? And that he didn't actually die because he never actually had a physical body. And so he just seemed like he did. Again, this is something we've talked about on a, on a previous podcast, but there's a lot of conflicting ideas in these various groups. One of these uh, ideas, ways of trying to deal with this, how can there be three gods, but actually only one God, but actually three gods, but actually one God, is uh, they both actually stem from Egypt, which you're not generally thinking of Egypt yourself as a center of Christianity. But in the ancient Roman world, it was the center of Christianity. It was the center of many of the early Christian fathers. That's where origin was based out of. Um, and there in Egypt were two thinkers who really are going to set the Roman world on fire, uh, the Roman Christian world on fire. The first is a guy by the name of Arius. Arius is going to make the argument that even though Jesus is divine, we're still monotheists, don't worry, because the Father is the Father, and yes, Jesus is God, but... God the Father made Jesus. So that means that in the beginning of time, there was just God. And then God, at some point, created time and space and also Jesus. Now, Jesus has all the power of the Father. Jesus is absolutely divine. You can worship Jesus. But Arius is saying, in a very distinct way, Jesus is not exactly equal to the Father. If he was exactly equal to the Father, well, then that would be a problem because the Father's always existed. How, in fact, can Jesus be the only begotten Son of God? Arius is going to take that to mean if he's begotten of God, well, what does begotten mean? It means he comes from God. God had to have created him. That means though Jesus is divine, we're not, we're not polytheists. We're still monotheists. 
because however much power Jesus has, and look, Arius is going to be slandered in all kinds of ways by his enemies that he doesn't even believe that Jesus is divine and all kinds of stuff. That's certainly not what he actually believes. He absolutely believes in the worship of Jesus. He is just positing from a theory standpoint that Jesus is, however infinitesimally different from the Father, he is different because the Father created him. Now, of course, the critics of Arius, you know, Arianism was very popular. It was popular because it made sense. It made sense that if we were told that there was only one God, and now all of a sudden you're saying that Jesus is also God, oh, well, that's because there is one God, and that God created this Jesus, and that Jesus is also divine. Jesus is that God's only begotten son. The idea that a God could have a son that is very, very, very powerful and partially mortal is a pretty popular idea in Roman and Greek circles, actually. If any of you have ever seen the movie Hercules. Yeah, the documentary. Yeah, the right. do- if you've seen the Disney the, documentary. If you've seen the Disney documentary on Greek theology, known as Hercules, um, which is probably Danny DeVito's best role. Oh, he's amazing in it. Yeah. I mean he's he that and twins. Yeah. I think I think that, <laughs> twins, and uh what what else? What else is he good in? Uh, the second Batman. Oh, oh yeah. Is, yeah. Is uh, a yeah. pe- penguin. Yeah. He was a better penguin. I love yeah. him. He was a good great. penguin. I think, I think, uh, you know, your thoughts, send us what you think Danny DeVito's best role was. I thought it was marrying Rhea Perlman, but, um, those of you that, uh, that guessed that Garrett would bring up Rhea Perlman around minute 36 or so, you win $10. Well, I, I don't know who sent those bets into you. Your degenerate gambling has gotten to levels that we need to talk to Brady, yeah, your it's, bishop. It's prop betting on Rhea Perlman yeah. mentions. Yeah. I, I, you know the podcast has arrived when there are lines in Vegas about when we will mention certain things. And then you manipulate those lines. It is funny. There, there are times from time to time as we record these things when, when one of us will say something that's completely unexpected. And we, we have start, to we, we have to pause, pause it. it. We, yeah. we start laughing. Rhea Perlman just did that for me. Yeah, we. I started laughing. I don't so know if you hard noticed that Rhea was a Perlman. hard a hard stop hard on edits. the edit because uh, Richard's face exploded. <laughs> Apparently, that's not common knowledge. Well, I was, can't just casually. On, I can't just casually mention who he's married to. That was very well done. Back to the man god Hercules. <laughs> um, no, that but the whole the whole point about that is. Arius was presenting a solution that actually seemed quite practical. And in fact, many Christians in Europe adopted this Arianistic belief. And, and there are many areas of the empire, especially outside of the empire, as, as the Germanic tribes in, um, in what's today Germany and, and Poland, as they convert to Christianity outside of the empire, most of their uh, Christian beliefs are going to be Arianistic in nature. In fact, one of the things that has to happen um, is that, you know, in later Christian centuries, they have to forcibly convert the Arianistic Christians to the proper form of Christianity. But that's a, that's a story for another day. Um, so Arius and his views are spreading all throughout the Christian world, inside the empire, as well as outside of the empire with other Christians. It, it, as I said, it has this, it has the, the draw to it that it actually seems to answer a lot of the questions because the circulating scriptures such as they are, look, no one has a Bible. The Bible doesn't exist yet, but the circulating gospels such as they are, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, and the Acts and the various letters of Paul seem to talk about the Father and the son both being divine, but also being different people, right? Jesus is praying to the father. Well, that seems to suggest that they're both divine, but they are also both, um, uh, you know, different individuals. So I think Arianism has this draw that it is practical in nature, but it's especially has a draw among people who don't see 
there being literally only one divine being as the most important part of belief. I think that's why outside of, you know, the Jewish parts of the Mediterranean, that's going to catch fire a little bit more. Well, in opposition to Arius is going to arise another Egyptian Christian um, by the name of Athanasius. Now, if you ever see pictures of Arius, Arius will be demonstrated as like just, he will not be flattering because he's deemed a heretic and he's terrible. If you see images of Athanasius, I mean, there's halos everywhere. There's halos, there's sunlight coming off of him. You know, every part of him is glowing. He's basically an angel. He's, he's certainly sainted, you know. And, and Athanasius is going to argue against Arius for, for some of the primaries. No, Athanasius has a good argument. Because in order for Arius's argument to work, that means God had to create Jesus. But if God created Jesus, then that means that there was a time that Jesus didn't exist. So if there was a time that Jesus didn't exist, how is it that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega? How is it that Jesus, with John chapter 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Well, I guess not in the beginning, because... Jesus wasn't there in the beginning, right? Some of the, 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 the Christological problems that emanated from Arius' arguments, Athanasius is going to attack very directly. Athanasius is saying that Jesus is not, sorry, Arius is saying, this is what Athanasius would say, that, that Jesus is not actually God. Not God the same way God is God. Because God created him. And so Athanasius is going to be able to hammer that over and over and over. And Athanasius is going to make the argument that, you know, when, when an Arianist says, well, wait a minute, if Jesus is begotten of God, well, then that means that God created him. He is begotten of God. Athanasius will say, not so fast, my friend. He is eternally begotten of God. He is always begotten of the Father. There was never a time that he wasn't begotten of the Father. And whereas Arius would have to argue that in some way, God and Jesus are not the same, Arius, his argument is going to be that Athanasius is going to say, no, they are the same substance. They are homoousion, right? They are the same substance, meaning whatever God is, whatever that is, whatever makes up God, that's also Jesus. Now, this is going to start to get a little bit problematic because, okay, so God is God and Jesus is also God and Jesus wasn't created, but Jesus is also God. Well, how is it that God is God and Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God? And this is where you're going to start that development of that theology of the Trinity, which you'll notice the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, um, though there is a very enterprising scribe who will add a verse uh, in the, the later uh, middle centuries uh, to the, the, the Bible uh, to say that there are three that bear witness in heaven. Um, that, that's not original to the, to the text of the Bible. Um, but even then, the word Trinity is not in there. And that the Athanasian Creed that will follow is one that is going to assert what to a Latter-day Saint sounds almost incomprehensible. Um, it's going to assert that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all one God, but they are also different persons but they are also one God. So if someone were to say, well, then it sounds like, okay, one, God the Father, two, Jesus, I'm holding up fingers that you can't see, three, the Holy Spirit, well, that's three gods. No, no, no. They're all three persons, but they're all one God. Again, this goes back to the fact that as Latter-day Saint, we can only think of God in anthropomorphic terms. God is a person. They, they don't have to think of God that way. God is so who can determine, who can define the limits of what God actually is? Just because God doesn't fit the role of what you think God is doesn't mean that that's not what God is. Of course, you can't comprehend God. 
This is going to lead to a dispute in the empire. And the Johnny-come-lately empire emperor of uh, Constantine um, has seen a great deal of civil war in his time as, as he's both coming to power as emperor, but also as an emperor. The empire is very unstable. It's very broad. It's very large. It had already been divided into two separate halves, an eastern half and a western half. And, it, I mean, the Roman Empire is this vast 50 million person conglomeration of thousands of different dialects and cultures and tribes, various kingdoms. They are united by Roman law, but they're honestly not united by a whole lot else. They're united by the fact that there's a united commerce throughout the empire. They all benefit from the Pax Romana that people talk about, the, the time period following Augustine. But, you know, there's not a whole lot that makes a Gaul from, you know, Brittany, uh, you know, relate to a Slav from Illyricum. There's not a whole lot that makes a, uh, you know, a, a Carthaginian from what is today Tunis relate to someone who is a, a, a Greek from Athens. The, the thing that's unifying among them is simply the Roman government itself. Now, not to get too political, and I obviously, just by saying that, I have invited all kinds of political hate mail. I already receive a considerable amount, and now we're going for the gusto. Um, in some ways, and I please don't take this analogy any further than what I'm trying to say. In some ways, the Roman Empire was a little bit like the, the United States in that regard. The United States is a mixture of many different cultures, right? Sure, there were early English culture that was here, that, that was here. But there was also early Scotch-Irish Presbyterian culture that was here. And there was also early Germanic culture that was here. And my people, the Dutch, since you English stole New Amsterdam from us, also were part of uh, the people that were here. The, there was a, a, a lot of different cultures and religions that made up the, the new uh, American colonies and that would make up the new United States of America. I, I'm not saying there wasn't a dominant culture. Of course there was. But you didn't have the same thing that you had in, you know, say a, a place that was more universal in culture like England or France, where the people who live in France are French. That's very similar. It's a very simple way to describe it. Well, who lives in French people live there in, in America? You had, you had German immigrants, you had, uh, uh, Italians, you had, uh, you know, Spanish, you had, you had English, you had Scotch, Irish, Presbyterians, like I said, you had all kinds of different people. The unifying idea for them, the unifying American culture then couldn't be any particular religion. There was some unification by the fact that everyone was going to eventually speak English. So English is a unifying factor, but a lot of people weren't speaking it in the early Republic. But the law is the unifying factor, right? The constitution becomes almost enshrined as, as, as holy by early Americans. The legal system, the governance is the culture. That's not the same in many other places. In many other places, the culture is the culture and the governance grows out of that culture. In America, you have this clash of cultures this, this collision of many different cultures, and it's a law, it's, it's, a, it's a governing document that tries to create, I'm not even arguing that it did create, but tries to create a cohesive culture. The Roman Empire is a little bit similar in the sense that as it has spread everywhere, it has incorporated, now it's not through immigration, it's through their own conquest, so that that I guess maybe that is similar to the United States. If you happen to live in any part that used to be Mexico and or anywhere that Native Americans owned, which was everywhere, um, the uh, the you have this this government that's trying to to 
really control, as governments do, to maintain order, millions of different people in all different types of religions, of cultures, of languages. And I think that Constantine sees a real opportunity here. Now, his predecessor, Diocletian, is... He is a not viewed very fondly in Christian circles. Why is that, Richard? He tried to murder all of them. Yeah, well, he is there are multiple state sponsors. So there's 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 local persecution of Christians in the early uh, Roman Empire. Um, you know, when Paul is first, you know, beaten and dragged down steps, right? That's not the it's not the Roman emperor saying, you know what, go beat up Paul. Let's see what he has to say about it. I'm sure if it was Nero, he would have said that, but um, it, it's more local persecution. In some ways, the early persecution of Christians mirrors the early persecution of Latter-day Saints. The earliest persecution of Latter-day Saints was not from the government of the United States. Why? Because there were like four of us and nobody cared, right? <laughs> Sorry, six. Um the, the 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 reality is we didn't no one even knew that we existed on a national level but if you happen to be a resident of Colesville New York and 100 people in the area suddenly all become the, these crazy mormons well that does affect you and that will lead to persecution so the earliest persecution of Latter-day Saints is on a local level. It's there in Colesville. It's there in Palmyra. It's especially there and growing in Kirtland as more members grow, then you get even more localized persecution. And we move from localized, you know, city and township. Eh? Yeah. Township. Yeah. Did anyone have money on that? <laughs> yeah, lots of people did. Oh, yeah, the they, house lost. Oh, wow. Either. We've got to stop doing that because I, I have a sneaky suspicion that we are the house. Um that it'll move from this kind of local persecution to state-sponsored persecution, right? The state of Missouri is going to order an extermination order in 1838. Now, the federal government still isn't a part of that, and you actually see something similar in the early Christian church. At first, it's very localized. Why? Because there aren't very many Christians, and the only people who care about them are people where there's Christians where they're at. Then they start to care about them on the provincial level. On A governor of, of Pontus is going to write and say, um, excuse me, what do I do with these Christians, right? And then it's going to expand to the, net, to the national or the empire-wide level. When you finally have the United States government taking a stand against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and passing laws specifically targeting Mormons and what they believe. Similarly, you're going to have in the Roman Empire. It starts very locally, then it moves to a wider level, but as Christianity continues to grow, eventually it's going to be taken up by emperors themselves, like Marcus Aurelius, that we all seem to love because of the movie Gladiator, but they conveniently leave out how many Christians Marcus Aurelius has killed. So we we did some we did some research prior to the episode, and uh, in about 250 AD, you're looking at about six to seven hundred thousand Christians in the Roman Empire of 45 million. That's right. And by and by about 312 ish, um, you're during Constantine's era. That's right. You're at three and a half to four million. It's a seven x six to seven x increase in Christians in in. 62 right years. so so you don't just have christians growing you have christians growing exponentially essentially at this point it, it, within 100 years it's easy to see how they're they're going to completely dominate the empire and again as i talked about at the beginning every person who becomes a christian means that person and their whole family is now no longer going to be a pagan well diocletian the emperor preceding uh constantine um really undertakes the most the most extensive state repression of Christians that takes place in the Roman Empire. He is, you know, he can't burn his Christians fast enough. There are lions that are still full today from the people Diocletian is throwing in. And when Diocletian's time ends, 
there are still Christians and Christianity continued to grow. So historians are divided on whether or not Constantine uh, had a true conversion to Christianity <laughs> and, you know, just one day decided, you know what, you know, I just love this story you know of this Hold guy, on. Jesus. Right. So first of all, I know, I know as you listen to this, you're like, oh my gosh, these guys, first of all, they sound so handsome. Second of all, I bet they're so much fun to hang out with. The answer is that, that, that neither abs- one of those is true. <laughs> That's right. Well, so I, I, uh, I was listening to a lecture series by, um, by not w- me by, of course, I, yeah, it was, it was a good one. It was by William R. Cook. And uh, it was on the history. It's a, it's like this 15-hour lecture series on the history of the Catholic Church. And so in that lecture series, one of the points that uh, Professor Cook makes is that, um, you know, many people say that Constantine um, wasn't a true believer of Christianity because he wasn't baptized until the end of his life on his deathbed. And, and the argument that Cook makes is, well, that, um, you know, he – you know, he was concerned uh, in early Christianity. You get one shot in terms of baptism. Repentance isn't really worked out as well in the church like it is later. And so, you know, he he knew as the emperor he would be doing lots of things that would <laughs> that, would, that would not be necessarily. You're really, you're really selling this well. And that, he was that, so Christian that he knew he was going to be doing all some, kinds of unchristian things. You know, so he better the, wait on it. It's the Jim Gaffigan line. Hurry up. I got some sinning yeah, to do. I got some sinning to do. So anyway, so I, 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 I you know, tell, tell Garrett this and, and then Garrett just, you know, he claims I'm caping up for Constantine and then he tells is. me Constantine's a terrible person. Yeah, and, and a like, murderer. Well, hey, you know yeah. And after he had his Christian conversion experience, murdered his wife and his son. But I'm sure he's an amazing guy. I'm sure he's just waiting for you know you know what save that baptism until I finish killing her and then I'll get back with you. So I, we've we've reached kind of the end here. So maybe the cliffhanger is that uh, you talk about uh, how Constantine how, tries to resolve this. Yes, between Arianism and Athanasianism. Boy, what a tease! Yeah, <laughs> if nothing brings you back to this podcast, like I need to find out who wins between Arianism and Athanasianism. And weren't we talking about how Mormons were Christian? I I don't think we are anymore. <laughs> oh, we stopped doing that about 45 minutes like ago. I feel like one of the themes of the podcast, answering questions you never knew you had, is also starting to answer questions that you never wanted answered and then never actually answering them. And if you've hated this podcast, you're really going to love uh, our premium uh, episodes that we're going to be launching in the new year as we talk about uh, American history, uh, additional things of uh, the church history, but in in some sort of chronological order. And you also have me so worked up over Constantine. We'll probably spend some time on Roman history just to talk about what a terrible person he is. Absolutely. And I continue to push the idea of the podcast Crinkling Leaves, where we talk about church sites and uh, provide a poor man's Rick Steves of all the different church sites. We understand that not everyone will be able to sign up for the premium content, but we are really grateful for the people who do. Like I said, I I get a, a lot of messages and emails from people saying, hey, why don't you start a Patreon account so that we can donate money to help defray the cost? Hey, what what's, what's some way that I could help? And there's just so many good people and so that's why we decided, well, what if we create uh, some premium content, especially surrounding just American history um, and specifically church sites, things like that, um, that people might be willing to subscribe to. And that would help defray the costs of, of everything we do, um, as well as still be able to maintain our, our free content. And, you know, obviously, you know, we could try to run ads on here. I don't, I don't really want to do that, no, nor do I want to vet the ads. So Richard and I decided we would just invent fake ads that were not actually paid for, right? Mm-hmm. So I could be like, you know, try not brown toothpaste. If you've got brown teeth, start brushing with this. They're probably going to get wider. I mean, I don't know. So, so some some, something like that. And I was going to go for, you know what? I like Jersey Mike's. So go to Jersey Mike's. Yeah. So Richard's going to just do unendorsed places that he actually likes. Get a number five. Tell him you'll want it Mike's way. So you're hoping that if you just keep mentioning them and then you'll take the clip of this to them and say, please give us money retroactively for the advertisement. I would that we happily made. be paid in kind. I would, I would say so you don't even want money. I just, just want, want I, food. I, just I want, can't, I can't host the podcast on your salami sandwich. 
I I need to have but I need money. So anyway, it, it's been again. People have been very very nice, and it's been it's been absolutely wonderful. And rather than ask for donations, we decided to be more capitalist. Well, just provide to, additional to provide content. something, yeah. And so um, as that rolls out in a couple of weeks, we hope that people are who are able are able to sign up for it, and they get some value out of that. If not, we plan on having the standard of truth free as as long as we're here, which. That's right. Which and is probably, a, you wish it was a lot less than it is it's now. It's true. And yeah. so it's a minimum five-year sign-up. We'll <laughs> <laughs> you have to sign up for 10 years. Uh, we will expect a mortgage broker to be at the sign-up. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk more about this next week. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.